0: Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast, where we discuss RPGs of all different sizes, big and small, Japanese, Eastern, you name it. That's because it's the genre that we love the most. And this week, we have our returning guest, Elia Gay, our Japanese correspondent, who plays all of the import RPGs. He is here to talk to us about Persona 5, SMT Apocalypse, Super Robot Wars, OG the Moon Dwellers, and whatever else we can think about. Is there anything else that you've been playing, Elliot?
1: I uh, I finished Tales of Berseria before I moved on to Persona 5.
0: Ah, all right. So maybe we'll get to that one, too. All right. But obviously, the big one, Persona 5, it is out in Japan. Elliot has been playing it. And from the sound of it, it is doing very well. Um, I've heard reports that it is number one and number two on Japanese bestseller lists.
1: Yes, uh, actually I got the numbers right here. Um, Between the PS4 version and the PlayStation 3 version, uh, its opening week it sold 337,767 copies, which is uh, the highest debut for any game in the series. Um, Up until that point, (laughs) I think uh, Persona 4 had been the highest first week at like 200,000 Give or take.
0: So this is combined. It's combined, yes. That's still nothing to sneeze at. Uh, people might like look at 300,000 copies in Japan and go, eh, whatever. But this is the Japanese market where we're talking about where uh, releases numbers are often measured in the tens of thousands yeah. uh, rather than the hundreds of thousands or millions. And any game that sells like a few hundred thousand copies is a rousing success.
1: Yeah, and I think it's easy to forget, too, that Persona, for as much as it's caught fire in the last you know five to ten years um up until persona 3 and 4 and even with persona 3 and 4 it was a relatively uh, smaller rpg series i mean you talk about the tales franchise that used to sell in the 500,000 to 600,000 range uh, persona was like in the tier below that as far as numbers is concerned so this is a, a huge jump for the series and kind of is a testament to how atlas has nurtured the brand since they released persona 4
0: yeah it really feels like it took off like it's always been kind of around uh going back to the old well make megami tensei games and the fact that it was based on a japanese novel and all that stuff yeah but it really feels like the series has kind of gone to the next level since persona 4 uh especially right after persona 4 golden came out it felt like persona 4 merch was everywhere Yes. Uh, Persona 4 characters really seem to take off uh, yes. in the Japanese mindshare. I-, I know that Persona five's announcement was a big deal over in Japan. Um, you were there in Japan at the time. Is that pretty much corroborating what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, the thing is that Persona fans are really... Japanese Persona fans are really diehard fans. Like, a lot of uh, the money that goes into the series isn't just from the games, but like you said, it's from the merchandise, it's from the concerts, etc., um, their fan base is very loyal, and so they can hold concerts, even though the franchise only pulls numbers, you know, like 200,000 a game, give or take, um, they can still hold big concerts at event halls and stuff because fans will show up for them uh, no matter what. But yeah, the Persona 5 announcement was treated like a big deal. It got this kind of very cool sort of, I don't know, like, what's the word for it, um, fake-staged Uh, theft at like a concert where the phantom thief showed up and like stole the lights and stole all like that's really cool it was a huge deal and i mean a lot of uh english-speaking fans who watched these streams kind of felt lost or were annoyed by how much nothing would happen on them for hours on end but like japanese game industry is kind of used to having streams where people just goof around for a while and nothing really important happens so for the japanese fans it was just kind of you know goofy fun
0: yeah, that's what I've heard actually that Japanese streams are a lot less focused and a lot more just like let's let's just goof around. Let's let's, let's have a good time. Let's just chat. There's no
1: new news here. We're just talking with the voice actors. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I find that uh it's pretty interesting. You would think that it would be kind of the opposite, right? You would think that the Japanese streams would be much more focused and that American streams would be just kind of like goofing around, but eh, go figure. Go yeah, figure.
1: Out. One of the big differences too is that like a lot of Japanese fans are also following their favorite actors and such. So if you get you know right. the voice actors on the show and there's no new news, but they're talking to the voice actors, uh, that's enough for the fans. You know, what I mean, they come away from that show thinking, oh, that was a good time. Versus if someone you know from the West is watching the stream hoping for new clips, they come out of a two-hour stream with nothing and they feel like they got burned. You know,
0: it makes me think of kind of the variety show slash yes. Japanese television culture yes, where you just get these celebs hanging out on a show, Yeah. right? Because they're a celebrity, and therefore people like them, and they'll... <laughs> Japanese television, like, everybody's like, oh, Japanese television is so crazy. No, most Japanese television is a panel of celebrities yeah. ooing and awing over and food. Over
1: something. Sometimes even the news, yes. which seems kind of weird, but...
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Alright, Elliot, you have been playing Persona 5, How Far All Are right. You, and... How, what are your initial right, as
1: thoughts? Of, it's been about a week since the game released, actually exactly a week. Oh, uh, right. I am 40 hours into the game.
0: Oh my god, I, okay, I wow. I know. <laughs> You've been like basically just playing it straight through. You've been going crazy on You know, it. I
1: didn't intend to. I don't play games like this normally, um, in terms of like just sitting down and jamming it out. But since I got it on day one, I've just been sitting in front of it as often as I can. I mean, it's probably more than 40 hours because I've lost chunks of time due to like, party wipes and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm about 40 hours in, I just finished what is the third dungeon, and there's nothing even remotely close to the end in sight.
0: Oh man, yeah, I heard this game is going to be 100 hours just for a basic playthrough. I don't feel like
1: I'm halfway through.
0: Oh my god, (laughs) but that makes me so excited because I was sad to leave the world of Persona 4 when I was done with it, so like, I am really pumped to be playing Persona 5, and it sounds... It makes me really happy to hear that, like, you are, like, 40 hours in, and it sounds like you can't put it down. I
1: can't. Honestly, if I wasn't recording this right now, I'd be playing more Persona 5 instead of...
0: Oh, my God. Now I'm just, like... It's coming in the mail for me tomorrow, so I'm just gonna... I'm, like, really looking forward to playing it. All right. So, tell me a bit about how the game is structured. Is it kind of... I, I know that you're... So, your character, they're, like, in a reform school... Uh, it's once again kind of going through this the year in the same sense of Persona 4 and Persona 3. Um, you have wacky adventures, like the principal's trying to get you expelled and everything. So it sounds like the structure is pretty like similar to before. Yeah,
1: the structure is definitely similar to modern Persona um, in terms of you have a calendar year, uh, you're a transfer student, um, and basically throughout every month you have a goal, so to speak, that you have to Kind of complete before you know the time limit approaches. Uh, Unlike Persona Three or Persona Four, though, um, the amount of days you have to complete that goal uh, isn't determined by like a a specific set thing. Like in Persona Four, it was whenever the mist comes in, that's when you know it's it's time you're screwed. You know what I mean? In Persona Three, it was uh, as soon as you know that specific shadow appeared, that was the time limit. In Persona Five, each dungeon has its own specific reason. For its time limit. Um, this is a spoiler, it's very early in the game, but for example, in the first dungeon, the time limit is basically until a faculty meeting because that's when uh, <laughs> the, the bad guy in question is going to have his chance to basically get you expelled. Um, and, you know, it's funny, describing that, it sort of sounds like goofy hijinks, but ironically, Persona 5 uh, is easily the darkest of the modern Persona games uh, and maybe even closer in tone to Persona 2 uh, in terms of
0: Ooh, games. interesting. So I know a
1: lot of people like to talk about how Persona 3 is, you know, very dark and kind of gritty. And I can see that in the sense that, you know, that they, they use the guns to some of their Personas, and visually it's very dark, and, you know, they're dealing with monsters and death and such. But it's all very based around supernatural elements, you know what I mean? The darkness of that game, every character has a tragic backstory, but that tragic backstory is almost always related directly to something supernatural that happened, you know, the shadows. Um, Persona five is much more grounded in reality, and so the darkness they're dealing with is much hits much closer to home because there are actual issues in Japan. You know, we're talking about suicide, we're talking about teacher physical abuse, uh we're talking about uh teachers in Japan using their position to try and, and, and uh get sexual favors. We're talking we're talking about distorting money. We're talking about um Basically people beating their uh, employees at work, excuse the ambulance in the background. Um, yeah, we're talking about very hard issues that don't actually have a supernatural slant until you get into the, the, the gameplay element of the game, which is going into people's uh, consciousnesses and stealing their hearts, which eventually, essentially uh, reforms them and forces them to confess to their crimes and owe up to what they did. Um, but that's the supernatural element. The supernatural element, it doesn't come from what the person's actually doing. What the person's actually doing is real uh, bad stuff in reality, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that makes things like, okay, well, you're going to get expelled from school. And the reason for that is because you get transferred to this new school because you got arrested uh, for a crime. I won't spoil what the crime is, but you did something and you got arrested for it. and You got kicked out of school for it. And basically you're the shame of your area and your parents just shipped you off because they don't want to deal with you. Uh, and so when you get to the school, everybody wow. hates you. The principal thinks you're a piece of garbage criminal. Your homeroom teacher in front of you talks about how she doesn't want to have to deal with you because you're just a punk kid. All the students are scared of you because they all heard rumors about how you got sent there because you're a criminal. Um, nobody wants to be your friend. The person you're staying with took you on because he's getting paid to do it. So he doesn't care. Um, so you're in a situation where you are, absolutely just the outcast of society. And that's the theme of the game, basically, is a group of people without a place to be, uh, without a home, you know what I mean? With no no real place where they're allowed to be and and enjoy their lives. Um, And all the characters kind of tie into that thematically. Um, And that's, of course, tied to the the villains in each arc, so to speak. Um,
0: Very different from Persona 3 and 4, where the player character is always kind of the most popular kid in school and always seems to have just kind of a hold on everybody yeah, no, you, very you, charismatic
1: it's funny because he's still a silent protagonist but because of the situation he's in uh he feels like he has more character right off the bat than persona 3 or persona 4's protagonist because they, they just sort of come into the scene as a blank slate uh you're introduced to this guy as someone who got arrested for a crime he may or may not have committed, and now everybody hates him. You know, you're the super underdog in this situation. And the situation. Even the dialogue options you're given, you're like, you could play the game as a, you know, tough guy jerk if you wanted to, and it ties into, you know, what people's perceptions of you are. Um, but as a result, though, the way you meet the other characters also feels a little bit more organic. Um, in Persona 4, you know, you're all in the same homeroom, your first three party members are all in the same classroom, um, you're all classmates, so it just kind of comes together. But in Persona Five, like nobody's friends with each other from the start. Like people have barely talked to each other up until you know the point when you say something. Um, so it really feels like you're getting it on the ground floor. And uh, so f- you know, structure-wise, it's very similar. You know, you're every day, you're doing different tasks, you're doing jobs, you're doing you know side quests, you're going into dungeons, etc. But the actual tone underneath all of it is a lot more uh, serious, and sometimes it's it's very it's it's a little bit hard to. To play, in some senses, in some points.
0: Have you seen Veronica Mars? Yes, I have. It's kind of Veronica Mars in that sense, right? So, in Veronica Mars, it begins with a girl who used to be very popular, actually. um, And then a terrible event happens. And she ends up, like, kind of loses everything, right? Yeah. And becomes an outcast. And everybody hates her. And she ends up befriending like the, the other kid in the school who's also kind of an outcast like sh- she's befriending the the undesirables i guess you yeah, could say yeah and um it's different from persona 5 in that she kind of works her way back up the social ladder but she's always still ostracized by the the popular kids and in that sense uh, it makes me think of what you're saying with the whole underdog story and everything. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, that definitely, you know, the people he's friending, your main character's friending, they're absolutely, you know, on the fringe. The first party member you get again, this is super, super early in the game. Uh, is, his name is Ryuji, and he's the typical, like, school um, punk, basically. You know, he has a shirt open, he gets into fights, he talks like a, you know, a ruffian, and he has reasons for it, but nobody in the school cheats him seriously. The teachers have all but abandoned him. Um, you know, they mock him to his face, etc. And you find out why, but, like, he has no friends at that school, and he's fine with it, but, like, you're also on that same sort of outskirts of the school structure. And so it makes more sense when the two of them eventually bump into each other, like, you see that friendship grow very organically uh, because they can relate to each other.
0: So Persona 4 had a pretty similar cast to Persona 3. Like, you could see definite parallels between different cast members true they ended up having different stories and ultimately different personalities but there were some broad similarities is that the case with persona 5 it doesn't sound like it is like the character you were just describing uh doesn't strike me as like a yosuke type No,
1: and you know a lot of people kind of jokingly they call him yosuke um people haven't played the game yet because he's you know he's the first Male friend, you make. He's the best friend character. And, you know, in some ways, he's a, when you get to know him better, he's a bit more of a goofball and kind of reckless, but like his, his story is messed up. Like, you immediately get why he is where he is pretty early on, and it immediately makes him sort of easy to like because you just, you know, it's a screw up situation that was completely out of his hands, but now he's taking the fall for it. And he just took it like a, you know, took it like a champ and decides, you know, to screw the world, whatever. Um, and I mean, even you know, Anne is the first female character you get, and she's nothing like any of the other female characters in other Persona games. Um, partially because she's a, a quarter uh, American, so she's not full Japanese, so she already has that stigma on her. Um, you know, she's a she works as a model part time, etc. But she's also quiet; and she doesn't have any friends at school. Um, she barely ever talks. Which, if you watch the trailer, you'd think, wait, that doesn't make any sense. That's not exactly the same character I'm describing. But uh, she also goes through some really neat changes and stuff. And I, I don't have everybody yet, but so far, it's a very different cast from Persona 4 and Persona 3.
0: Are there any notable differences in the way that the, the social links work? So, if you haven't played Persona 4 or Persona 3, one of the key elements is you meet characters and if... And, Once you get to kind of introduce to them, um, you can start building up a bond with them, and it plays out in kind of a mini story arc. And the stronger the bonds you have with them, the stronger that type of persona who is under their particular astrological sign becomes. And so, if you build up a particular bond, you can... create much more powerful personas like right out of the gate. Is that kind of the case in uh, Persona 5? That is still five? the
1: case, but there are some differences uh, in terms of what unlocks for each level of Social Link. So, you have the generic, you know, you're, you get more experience when you fuse Personas of that level, but in addition to that, and I don't remember this being the case in Persona 4, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, for some of the Social Links, for example, if you do the Social Link with the Doctor, um, she creates weird new medicines, and every time you level up the social link, more of those become available for you to purchase from her. Um, in, you have the twins who are the new velvet, uh, room stewards. And when you level up their social link by fusing the personas they want from you, um, not only do you get more experience from the fusions, you also unlock new, um, new weird fusing abilities that have been added to the game. Um, so depending on the social link, actually, there are, more physical benefits to uh, following certain characters. So, for example, I'm, I'm really pursuing the doctor right now because I want more health items. I want more items that restore SP. Um, and by following her social link, I'm unlocking more of those. Um, so you have a little bit more of a impetus to follow social links, even if you're not necessarily fusing personas of that uh, tarot, uh, which is nice.
0: Yeah, that sounds very cool. Yeah. Um- and it also sounds like they've really expanded the job stuff. Um, so you're not just getting a little scene of you doing a job um, and potentially getting a social link. You're getting like an actual mini game.
1: Yeah, in some cases. Uh, I've only worked one job right now. I've been working at, at the flower shop, okay. and what happens there is uh, every every once in a while they get a customer coming and they'll ask for a certain type of flower. They'll describe the sort of flower they want, and you have to pick out the right flowers. And if you do. Um, You get a bonus in terms of cash, and you also get a bonus to your stats, your individual stats. And if you don't, I mean, you get paid the normal amount, but you don't get anything special out of it. Um, So there are little things like that that make them more involved now. You know, you're actually paying more attention. They're not just little cutscenes.
0: What about the uh, Persona Fusing? Is that different?
1: Um, Not that I can tell. I did just unlock something that, that was, I think it's a Persona Strengthening uh, I don't know what that is. I haven't touched it yet, but generally speaking, fusions work the same way. Uh, you cannot, uh, choose which skills are like inherited. It's still a random list, um, uh, which is kind of a bummer, but otherwise it seems generally the same though. There is a really great cutscene for when you fail, uh, to yeah. use a persona. Um, that's just really morbid and kind of out there, but, uh. Yeah.
0: Oh man, is it like the pig alien in the Galaxy Quest?
1: It, it, it's something else. Let me tell you. Like the fusion animation is already pretty messed up because it involves sticking your personas into two guillotines to sacrifice ugh. and fuse them. And so the failed version is basically the twins taking it into their own hands to murder your personas.
0: <laughs> wow, that's. It's dark. Ugh. It's pretty
1: dark. It fits in with the whole you're in prison thing.
0: It's interesting because uh, one of the main things about this game is that it moves back to Tokyo. And, of course, Tokyo is kind of SMT's spiritual homeland, right? Um, There's always been a very apocalyptic feel to the series. And Persona 3 and Persona 4 certainly had their dark moments, don't get me wrong. But in moving to different environments, it felt like they lightened up a little bit. Uh, So it fits that when it would move back to Tokyo that it would suddenly get a lot darker.
1: Yeah, you know, and the areas you can run around in, um, which are all based off of real areas in uh, Tokyo, um, you know, there's some areas that just look super nasty and kind of grungy, like the area that you live in. Uh, And then you have Shibuya and Shinjuku, which are really lovingly rendered and stuff, um, but also populated. The The nice thing about this game is that it's populated with, like, characters in the background walking around, and the way they do it is... If they're not an important NPC or someone you can talk to, they're kind of like these faceless, like, translucent beings that are just walking around. So you don't have to worry about running between people, but at the same time, it makes areas feel really packed in. Like, you feel like you're in a Tokyo area because you just see all these character models moving around everywhere all the time.
0: Mm. So I'm guessing Tokyo is a lot bigger than uh, the previous areas.
1: Um, I'm not sure if it's bigger in terms of there are more areas, but the areas that are there are much larger than in Persona 4 and Persona 3. For example, you would have like, there's that one area in Persona 4 by the river, which is that one street. And then like the mm-hmm. little area in the back by the park, there's no areas quite as small as that. <laughs> like they're all kind of mm-hmm. big city blocks with stores and shops on them and stuff.
0: Mm. Well, uh, I think that Persona 5 is, uh, going to be one of those games that's just kind of fun to explore relax and enjoy despite the kind of the dark tone uh, the, the art like I was wondering if the red would get to be a bit much but it looked a bit more colorful uh, than every time I see a trailer or something it looks more colorful than I remember does that kind of hold up
1: oh absolutely I mean it's only red and black in the same sense that you know persona was yellow or that persona 3 was blue Um, that's, like, the motif for, like, menus and stuff, but generally speaking, the game is really colorful, and that extends into costume designs, that extends to the UI, and that especially extends to dungeons, uh, the main dungeons in the game, which is probably the biggest change in the Persona series since Persona 3 added all this stuff. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about the dungeons. Um, it looks like they're a lot more elaborate this time around. Um, they're, they appear to be handcrafted as opposed to randomly generated um, so in Persona 3, you would climb up this this giant tower, Tartarus. right? Yes, you would be climbing up the Tartarus, and each floor, like, was pretty nondescript. Um, the point was that you were just kind of trying to survive until you got to the next point where you could kind of stop. And then the way that it shook things up was that there would, you would hit a full moon, and then, like, a really nasty demon would appear, and you would have to deal with, like, some big new challenge. Um Persona Four, of course, you had the theme the dungeons that were themed around each character's kind of inner selves. Uh but they were still randomly generated and still kind of non window dressing but around the
1: dungeon looked different.
0: Exactly. Like it was basically just reskinned. Uh but Persona 5, it seems like has like puzzles and much more elaborate handcrafted dungeons? Is this kind of borne out in what you've been playing? Uh,
1: Absolutely. I would argue that um, I didn't realize that making the game focus around handcrafted dungeons would make such a big difference, but it it makes all the difference in the world. Um, So I've only cleared three of them. I don't know how many there are in the game. Uh, I'll talk about the first one because it shows up a lot in trailers and stuff. Um, The first dungeon in the game is a... It's like a, it's a castle essentially, right? And basically, they're called the palace dungeons. And the palaces are like in Persona Four. They're kind of representative of the person you're you're in the consciousness of, um, and you're trying to steal the treasure at the very core of the palace. And that treasure is what that person holds dearest to them. Um, and by stealing it, you basically you can force the person to, to the shadow to go back to the person and get them to confess to their deeds and reform as a person become a better person even though they're still guilty of all their crimes at least you know they're in prison now etc 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 but these palace dungeons are all like you said handcrafted they're hand designed um, they have puzzles and gimmicks in them um, they have the way the shadows are generated now they don't just pop up out of the ground out of nowhere um, they're on the map they are designed after the theme of the, the dungeon so for example in the castle they're guards you see guards walking around, and they have set paths they walk, almost like a Metal Gear game. Uh, and that ties into the fact that you now have stealth options, uh, where you can hide in corners of uh, walls and behind objects and stuff by pressing a button. And when you're in that position, enemies can't see you, even if they're right in front of you. You're completely invisible to the naked eye. Um, and when you're in that position, and an enemy walks by you, if you press Circle again, you'll see it pop up on the screen. You stealth attack the enemy, and that gives you a you know the the. I guess you could say, first hit. Um, So instead of just walking up behind them every single time, you can do this, and it's guaranteed. Um, And that also makes it a lot more interesting to watch how enemies move, because when you're sort of low on health and low on SP and you absolutely need to get that chance hit, uh, you're much more stealthy about it. And the game makes it very easy for you to do that. But, yeah, you also get puzzles. Um, You get things like riddles. Uh, The dungeons are sort of populated by things called safe rooms, uh, when you find them, you can obviously you can save in them, you can check your progress in the dungeon. If you ask Morgana, who's your new guide, the cat character, uh, he will tell you about how far into the dungeon you are. Um, and also while you're in that room, you can teleport to any other safe room that you've been to. So if you get you know three safe rooms into the dungeon, you're pretty deep in, but you need to back out. You don't have to run out, you just you press R1 and you can teleport to any of those safe rooms or to the entrance of the dungeon. Um, and so you still go back into the dungeon like you did before, sort of pacing yourself, but you're almost a lot more inclined to try and do it in a couple days because they are these kind of set fun experiences and you kind of want to see what happens next. Um, the environments are really nice, like they're really well designed. I haven't had this much fun doing a dungeon in a JRPG in a really long time, actually. Uh, it's, it's been fantastic.
0: Oh, that is really good to hear. Uh, and the handcrafted dungeons sounds like a giant improvement. It's huge, yeah. And it really goes a long way to explaining why this game was in development for such a long time, because uh, like, creating those handcrafted dungeons could not have been easy, but I think that the effort is definitely going to end up being worth it.
1: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is that they have to be huge, too, because they have to last for, you know, a couple weeks' time in-game. Um, but it's interesting that you, you mentioned how long it took to make this. I was reading an interview today uh, that Katsura Hashino, the producer, did with, uh, I think it was Dengeki PlayStation, and they said that in 2011 when uh, the earthquake hit, the Tohoku earthquake, they actually pretty much reset the game entirely.
0: Whoa, uh, really? from
1: scratch, yeah. Because at first, it was going to be a story about going on a journey Uh, kind of go, like, just sort of leaving your home and then going out into, like, the open world and stuff and, and sort of exploring who you are as a person. But after that earthquake, they start to rethink the themes and stuff and they thought that a game about these sort of themes was more important right now. Um, and they ended up kind of scrapping a lot of what they had and going back to zero. They even explored making combat action, action based. Holy crap. Uh, Apparently it didn't last very long because they realized they didn't have much experience with it and they didn't want to screw it up. But yeah, in 2011 there was a big change. And I know when Index was going through its uh, legal troubles due to its presence being criminals, um, apparently he also expressed uh, concern that at the time they weren't even sure the game was going to be released because of how you know, the situation was with Index and Yakuza and all that crazy shit that was going down. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so fortunately, it's kind of a, a minor miracle that the game turned out this, like, amazing piece of software that it did, at least at this point.
0: It sounds like It sounds like the game went through some uh, trials, to say the least, and the fact that they rebooted it um, after the earthquake uh, kind of explains its much darker and more apocalyptic feel.
1: Yeah, and it also explains why it, it seems like it's... It's a very introspective game. Like, the game is about these characters kind of looking deep inside themselves and deep inside other people and trying to generally fix themselves, right? Like, all the villains in this game so far are... I could absolutely point to real criminal cases in Japan in the last five years where these exact sort of things have happened. Like, the inspiration is super clear in some cases. Like, there's one that is very clearly riffing off of that Japanese politician. I don't know if you ever saw the clip. The Japanese politician who was apologizing for having, like, extorted money and stuff. He just starts crying in the middle of his speech, and he's drinking the water. And there's this huge thing on Japanese internet, memes everywhere. And there's very clearly something that's riffing on that in this. Um, that kind of caught me off guard, but it was also pretty funny, too. Um, but it's definitely more tied to, to social problems. Like, I feel like a Japanese person... Play- it's a very Japanese game in a way that the others weren't. I was uh, talking to a localization friend of mine, Thomas Jane, and he was saying the same thing that, like, in some very like built-in ways, this is a Japanese game about very Japanese problems that speaks to Japanese people and the localization is gonna have a lot of work to do to try and, and fill in those gaps um, because otherwise you miss some of the nuance that comes with like okay this is specifically about Japanese school structures and how oppressive they can be and how parents turn a blind eye to like physical abuse for the sake of you know the greater good etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely a darker game, but it has its light moments, for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, well, one of the strengths of Atlas has always been that they've been able to accentuate the Japanese cultural aspects yeah. um, without making it feel alien to exactly. Westerners. Uh, and that's why I feel like it has resonated so strongly over yeah. here. Uh, but it also explains why it's not coming out until a few months after the Japanese release, because... Not only do they have like more than a hundred hours worth of text to localize, it's, it sounds like it is the most intense undertaking Atlas has ever taken on, Atlas USA has ever taken on. Um, they also have to do this like really intensive actual localization process. And if anybody, Starts talking about censorship. I will personally climb through the internet and like throttle them. <laughs> this, oh this, my it's god! Funny to me
1: because this game doesn't really have much that would quote unquote require censoring to begin with. But like the other thing that that I really I I feel for the for the folks at Atlas is that like in addition to just text translation and localization, the the amount of stuff in the UI that they're going to have to tinker with is oh god yes yes. Like every time I play the game, I just think to myself, thank god. I don't work at house right now because this would be <laughs> hell on earth. Um,
0: the UI is so it, elaborate. Like every time I see that UI I'm just like, "Oh my I'm 40 god, hours that in is and I am not tired of
1: staring at it." Um, but the, th- the funny thing is it's not just that it looks amazing and and feels amazing. Um, there are actually like quality of life improvements that go along with it like the combat system. I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it, but um, the menu system now every Single option on your combat ring is set to a, a face button, so square, circle, triangle, etc. Um, so like personas, triangle attack is X, um, block is square, or whatever. Like, and it makes it really just easy to, to pick what you want. Like you're not cycling through things up and down with the D-pad.
0: Yeah, you're not so going through the you're little menu super ring super
1: fast at all times, and everything like just looks so cool that. Even if you're doing battles back-to-back-to-back, you don't really even care because it's just so stylish. It's absurd. It's not like the game is some sort of technical marvel either. I mean, it does have some issues where, like, for some reason there's some textures here and there that are, like, really oddly low-res, or it makes you wonder, like, was that a holdover from, like, a previous version or what? But, like, on the whole, just the arts... There's so much art in this game, it's absurd. And I mean that in the sense of, like, there's 2D art for, like everything there's like a nice 2d illustration for like the the battle victory screen but on top of that there's also this really elaborate animation of your characters getting up and heading to the next you know area after battle there's all these different like context sensitive things that it just it seems absurd that a company like atlas which is not a AAA developer they don't have that kind of manpower they don't have that sort of money like that they created this thing somehow without You know, imploding the studio is almost like a minor miracle to me.
0: (laughs) Five years. Five years after they rebooted the project. I mean, that is just crazy, and I really hope that it pays dividends for them. Uh, last couple things. Uh, thoughts on the battle system?
1: Uh, so the battle system, like I said, the UI improves a lot of things. It makes it nice and fast. Uh, there are two big changes, or I guess return to form, depending on how you look at it. Uh, they've added guns back in the game, which was a Persona thing from Persona 1 and Persona 2, and also the SMT series. Uh, and they also added back demon negotiation, negotiation, which was awesome.
0: Oh, yeah, okay.
1: Um, so in a lot of ways, this feels like the culmination of like combining the positives from both sets of games. Um,
0: I look forward to them asking me a random question and then just like going nope,
1: bye. <laughs> they're they're A little off. bit better about that. In fact, most of the time, I've only had them turn on me mid-conversation, like maybe four or five times out of the hundreds of times I've done it. You're more likely to get them to give you something than to like, have them be angry. But there's lots of funny, weird, goofy dialogue and, and goofy choices that. That's kind of like the the best part of the demon negotiation systems is just the weird conversations you have with these creatures. Um, But the nice thing is there's two ways to recruit demons now. Uh, There's negotiation, uh, and then there's also um, when you get an enemy down to a certain level of health, if other enemies are already dead, uh, they panic and they talk to you instead. They come to you, they're like, hey, please you know, spare me. And you can choose to obviously kill them, extort money from them, or take them. And if you take them, it's a guaranteed uh, persona acquisition. Like, it's not, it's not left up to chance. Um, and for a while, I thought it was kind of uh, it was a hard thing to do. But recently, uh, with certain demons that I'm not good with talking to, um, you can pretty much guarantee that they'll surrender to you uh, if you kill every other demon on the battlefield and get them down to, like, a sliver of health, uh, which is nice. Because just having options is good. Um, the other thing they had, like I said, was guns. Um, and each gun, each character has a different gun type, rifles, shotguns, etc. Um, they have a limited amount of bullets, so when you go into the dungeon, if you have 15 bullets, those are your 15 bullets for that dungeon run. When you leave and come back, you'll get more. Um, but they're basically, they're they're a type of attack, so just like an SMT, uh, some characters are weak, some demons are weak against them, some aren't, um, but they're good for, like, creating opportunities for all-out attacks. Um, it's nice to have them back, it really you feel like you have a lot of combat options. The other new thing they added was baton touch, or baton touch, depending on how you pronounce it. Uh, when you hit an enemy in their weak spot, uh, you have the potential to baton touch to another character. Um, sometimes you get to choose them, sometimes they're set because of the, the character order. And when you do, it changes to that character's turn, and they'll be a little bit more powered up. Than beforehand. So, for example, you know, if I take down an enemy with ice and the remaining character, the remaining enemy is weak against lightning, I can switch to the lightning character using baton touch. They'll be more powerful and they'll be able to use the lightning attack to finish off the guy. Um, so, it just it feels a lot more complex, but at the same time, it's very fast and it just feels good.
0: All right, uh, last question. And I think this is one that a lot of people are kind of wondering how long does it take from the time that you start the game for the first time? and the first time that you actually kind of really get into the flow of the game. Like, how long does it take for this game to clear its throat?
1: First time, time from beginning (laughs) to time where you touch the controller to move around is about ten minutes. Okay. Um, No, I'm sorry. What am I talking about ten minutes? Uh, It's about five minutes before you're in battle and running around a dungeon. From start of game to you pick up the controller and you're fighting things.
0: So it's not like Persona 4, in other words?
1: No. Uh, You're immediately... The game starts in media res. Um, and so you're probably 80 hours into the game at the very beginning of the game. Like, everybody's already together. You're trying to break out of a casino. You get into some tutorial fights. You do some, uh, tutorial stealth stuff. Um, you break out, and then the game flashes all the way back to the beginning of the year. Uh, and that's when you get sort of the the typical Persona buildup, but even then, uh, the game doesn't take the control out of your hands for too long. I'd say until you really hit like, doing whatever you want, probably two hours, but in that two-hour period, you're still doing stuff. You're not just, like, Persona 4 was very much so, like, I remember the one gameplay thing that I did was walking forward in that endless hallway at the very beginning, and then all the way up until Yusuke's Shadow, there isn't much you ever do. Um, Persona 5 isn't quite like that. Like, it is a much faster uh, progression, so things
0: get breaking apart, I guess you could say. Well, I didn't think that I could get any more hyped for Persona 5, but you have definitely turned my hype levels up to 11. Well, we keep going up um, <laughs> I, I cannot wait to play it. It's going to come in the mail. I will be doing a preview, an import preview, and I will also be streaming it next week. I really cannot wait to play this game. And I think the thing that I find really interesting um, when you're talking about the way that it's combining these SMT elements I know that a lot of SMT fans, like hardcore SMT fans, in some ways have looked down their nose at the Persona series because it's a lot more accessible, a lot more mainstream than your average SMT game. Uh, so maybe we can finally bring everybody back together in one big happy family.
1: Yeah, you know, I would hope so. But I feel like it also sometimes goes both ways. Like you have some Persona fans who look at SMTs like, why doesn't this have social links? And then you have the SMT fans who are like, oh, I don't want social links in my game. Uh and it's like, guys, we should be happy. You know why? Because Atlas is making not just Persona or not just SMT. They're making both. <laughs> like <laughs> it's actually a pretty good time to be a fan of either of these right now.
0: I absolutely agree. And we will talk about SMT Apocalypse in the next segment. Uh, but we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Try to me through. Hold on. Think again.
1: Don't you
0: know Don't you know? No more art. And as I look to the horizon, now, 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 by the stormy weather, go so to the cold. Seems like it creeps up out, out of nowhere. back. Uh, We are going to continue to talk about SMT Apocalypse, which I'm not actually sure if it's out yet. I I know that Jeremy has been playing it for seemingly months at this point, (laughs) because we got our copy, we got codes for that game, like, a long time ago. (laughs) Which is great, you know. Um, It's kind of, it's funny because Persona 5 is being hyped to the moon, but SMT 4, you know, in, in some ways is, despite being the a numbered sequel to the series has been kind of taking a backseat a little bit, but SMT Apocalypse, uh, kind of a off slash, I, I don't know, almost like a side story uh, from SMT4, even though it picks up after SMT4. Um, the What I have played so far, you do not play as the original main character, who is Flynn. Um, you begin by... Taking on the role of a soldier in one of the factions uh, who live in Tokyo, and uh, it picks up relatively quickly yeah. and goes from there. Um, Elliot, you have played SMT Apocalypse. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I cleared it back when it released in February in Japan. Um, I really liked Shin Megami Tensei Four. Uh, I liked I like Three a lot. I like Nocturne a lot. But I'm a I'm a big fan of SMT One and Two. Uh, Especially the tone of two, Uh, that weird kind of 80s sci fi horror vibe that it had going on. Uh, So, four really appealed to me. And when I saw, you know, the trailer for Apocalypse, which really looked like it was kind of digging deep into that sci fi horror weirdness that four had going on, I was all about it. Um, I I played through the game pretty much straight without stopping to play other stuff. Uh, and I I really enjoyed it. And, and like you said, it's kind of, it's a weird thing because. From the outside, it doesn't look like it's a sequel, it kind of looks like a weird spin-off thing. You're not following the same characters, it doesn't even follow the right timeline. Um, but it all sorts to sort of starts to fall into place the more you play it, uh, like where it where it sits in terms of shimming on Tensei Four. Um, it kind of it starts off from a point of the neutral ending, but not the end of the neutral ending from four. It kind of replaces uh, the back half of the neutral path. Um, and some ways it kind of feels like this is for that team. This is kind of like, okay, well, this is the canonical, uh, neutral path. Like you switch characters, but this is, this is what's supposed to happen wrong. Cause I felt like that was the, one of the weakest parts of four was that, uh, the neutral path and the neutral ending really felt kind of rushed. Um, so this actually fixed a lot of my problems with that. Uh, you know, the biggest problem with the game, honestly, and I say problem, but it didn't actually bother me that much is that. Yeah, it reuses a lot of uh, assets. It reuses a lot of locations, etc. Um, but I also feel like Atlas is kind of known for doing that when it comes to their 3D games. Uh, I mean, there was a long period of time where they were just using the same demon sprites for every single SMT-branded game possible. You know what I mean? Like Strange Journey, delver Survivor, all those games just use the same static <laughs> images over and over again. So I was kind of used to that. Um, but I also... I kind of want. I wanted to play in SMT Force Tokyo more. Was originally my issue with uh, four, and so like, mm-hmm. being able to do that with all these quality of life improvements, a new story, new characters, um, improved combat, like improved illustrations for some of those demons, uh, was kind of a treat. To be honest, I, re- I didn't expect this game to ever exist. So the fact that it does and it's good was a really pleasant surprise to me. <laughs>
0: It's really funny that this game exists. Uh, I, I thought that they had kind of closed the book on SMT4, especially with the 3DS kind of um, definitely on the downward yeah. side of its of its life cycle. Um, and all of a sudden, this giant RPG is being dropped right back into our laps. And it is
1: a big, you know, it's a very big game. People talk about how disappointed they are that it is isn't on consoles. But think about the what it would take to put a game the size of SMT4 or Apocalypse on a modern console. Like, we were talking about Persona 5 earlier, uh, but those are closed areas, small areas of the city. You know, you're talking about five, six hubs uh, versus a game like SMT4 or Apocalypse where, you know, you're running around huge chunks of these cities. Now, imagine having to do that on the PS4 with the manpower that Atlas has, not to mention you have to make all those demons, which, you know, they did for Persona 5 finally. I'm sure you're going to see those get used nonstop going forward, but that would be a hu- this would be a huge undertaking on a modern console uh, for a small company, um, and so I think the only reason it ever existed in the first place was because it was on the 3ds. Um, there's no way they'd be able to do a SMT4 and a Persona 5 side by side for the PS4, PS3. I feel like that actually bankrupted the company. Um,
0: <laughs> but
1: that said, you know, SMT4 <laughs> sold really well in Japan, like third. Despite the fact that it's the, it's technically the mothership series, but Persona is sort of the mothership series now, it still sells quite well. I mean, Ford did like 200,000 its opening week, give or take, uh, which is nothing to laugh at, you know, especially if you look at Persona numbers. I
0: mean, it was on the 3DS, and SMT is well known in Japan. I'm not surprised at all. So, I mean, like,
1: in the West, Persona, like, trumps smt in terms of name value i think but in japan you know people still look at the smt brand and think oh yeah that's that's some quality stuff like even if it's not persona um but yeah i was just happy that apocalypse exists and you know i'm happy they released it in the west too
0: yep indeed and um well if you want additional thoughts on smt apocalypse uh, you should go read jeremy's review over on the site I really wanted him to get on the podcast, but Jeremy is an elusive <laughs> man, and he is a tough guy to get on the show, but I'm glad that you could speak to it. Um, I'm really curious, like, what are your overall thoughts on episode SMT4? Um, overall, a success? Good good. Uh, I think addition so, yeah, to the I series? Think,
1: you know, it's not Nocturne, but I don't think it's ever, it was ever trying to even be like Nocturne. Uh, SMT3, Nocturne, in some ways... Despite being like the the big popular one in the West, is almost like the black sheep of the series. People like to talk about how they love the isolated feeling that Nocturne has, and like that's what SMT is to them. But that wasn't actually what SMT was before Nocturne. You know what I mean? SMT one and two, you had human characters that were with you. You had partners. You had a cast of characters. Tokyo was populated with people in both games. Like you had huge factions, you know, of humans going against each other. Then you get to Nocturne, that's very sort of lonely game on purpose, and it's very cool, but it's very different from the, the SMT formula. I felt like, and so when SMT four rolled around, and, and no one had ever played the first two games because they never got released in the West until uh, the phone version not too long ago. Um, it was sort of weird seeing people react to it like, well, why isn't this Nocturne? This isn't SMT, etc., etc. When it was such a return to the style of one and two. Um but I I think I think they're great games. I think uh I think Atlas did some really bang up work on the 3DS. Uh Apocalypse recycles a lot of stuff, yes, but I think uh what's there is still great. And I think if you liked 4, you'd like Apocalypse. And if you didn't like 4 for things like the map, the Tokyo map which was confusing. <laughs>
0: which was God, confusing, I hated that stupid map.
1: Tokyo memorized. Um you know, Apocalypse fixes that.
0: You know how long <laughs> it took me to find Dueno?
1: Um uh, but yeah, Apocalypse fixes a lot of that. Uh, there is a lot of quality of life changes um, for the better. So I, I highly recommend if you wanted to like four but couldn't check out Apocalypse. You know, read a wiki, see what happened in the neutral path real quick, and just jump on in because it's it's a, a great SMT game.
0: All right, um, all right. Anything else that you have been playing? I, I know that you said before the podcast that you played uh, through Tales of Berseria.
1: Yeah, so I just want to talk about this real quickly because. Uh, tales has been on a kind of a weird slump for me uh, I haven't really liked any of the PlayStation 3 tales games very much uh, I like parts of Zysteria, which was the last one I didn't like either of the Exilia games uh, I didn't like graces I liked Vesperia which was Xbox 360 first uh, but I kind
0: Vesperia of Vesperia is a decade old at this point exactly yeah uh, just, can you believe how old that game is still great I, I, actually I try not to think about it <laughs> it's actually one of the uh, one of the high points of the series in my opinion alongside like uh, tales of um oh god was well, the abyss and this um, is
1: good i think uh it's a shame that we never got the later 2d tales games because tales of destiny director's cut and Tell yeah was, like, two i are, really
0: wish that they two had of the best d-
1: games in the series but,
0: yeah the re the ps2 remake of destiny would have been really nice yeah, to have
1: it's, it's um so I, I wasn't really hyped for baseria at all I, it kind of just after hysteria just didn't i wasn't feeling it i picked it up anyway um and Honestly, it was a race against time to finish it before Persona 5 came out, but I didn't really have to work that hard because I ended up sitting down with it and just, after a week, go like zooming right through it.
0: I um, want your superpower. I want your superpower to just blitz these games. <laughs>
1: blitz these games and then have to blitz work right after. Yeah, um, seriously. But, like, it's it's probably my favorite 3D Tales game. Uh, I think I like it overall better than Vesperia. Um, I think it has the best cast of a recent Tales game. I think the story it tells is is it's a simple revenge story, but it works. Uh, the tone is a little bit darker, but it's consistent. Um, the combat is the most fun it's been in ages. The amount of combos you can pull off and, and the way the game feels is fantastic. Um, Cutscene direction is way better than it's been recently, which is pretty bad. Um, the music is still, you know, Sakuraba being Sakuraba, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's mostly okay. Um, but there's just a lot to the game. There's lots of side quests. It's a very meaty game, and it feels like the Tales team kind of took to heart what the criticism they've been getting for the last few games. Um, it's a shame that like it, it's actually one of the worst-selling Tales games in Japan, because the series has been on a decline, and it's kind of a bummer because it's absolutely the best of the bunch. Um, and it's kind of been showing because it's had some legs in terms of sales, like people are still buying the game, even though Tales games are normally very front-loaded. It has good word of mouth, um, but hopefully it sells a little bit better in the West because it's actually rock-solid. I was very surprised, especially because I picked it up knowing that I was going to go into Persona 5 right after. So I figured I'd just forget about Versario completely later on. But as a Saren, as it turns out, like, I still look back on that game very fondly. Uh,
0: the Tales series has a very specific audience yeah, um, who are very hardcore about the series. And Bandai Namco and the Tales studio seems to be catering especially yeah. to them. Um, a lot of women, actually, which I, I think Tons. is really cool. Um,
1: you know, a lot of people don't talk about it, but they have a lot of, uh, live events in Japan where, you know, they just announce games or have the voice actors come or whatever. And you'll get, you know, like 30,000 people in the audience and 95% of them will be women. Um, you know, the Tales franchise is not just the game sales, the Tales franchise is all the figures, all the posters, all the manga, all the anime, and the, the people who devour most of that stuff. I was reading, I was reading a study not too long ago. I feel like this was a couple of years ago. The majority of the people who are buying all that, you know, outside goods, they're all women. Like, Tails has a gigantic female fan base, probably larger than the male fan base. Um, and they, they know that. They absolutely are more than aware.
0: Of well, it's kind of bright and like, look, <laughs> as a woman myself, I don't really want to say, like all women want the same thing. Cause that's obviously not no, true. Course, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that there is kind of an appealing like brightness to the series um, that, that makes it a lot easier for it to kind of break out of like uh, this niche of men playing RPGs or whatever. Um, yeah, and sure. it has um, very pretty, male characters um it does
1: you know the tales team knows how to appeal to both sides so to speak and they're usually cute
0: to the point of being like saccharine i mean sometimes yeah yeah
1: but then they'll have the dude who just has his abs out for no reason and it's just like cool all right yep
0: a lot of women are like "Mm mm-hmm
1: yeah no totally
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right uh so, I, I suppose the last thing I'm kind of wondering, what do you think of the Moon Dwellers? Uh, this would be Super Robot Wars OG, the moon Dwellers for the PlayStation 4, the first Super Robot Wars game in years to be in English.
1: So, um, I didn't play the English version, but I have seen lots of screenshots
0: of it. Oh my god, that localization is so there. bad.
1: I hesitate to call it a localization, but that, yeah, that.
0: Yes, uh, else. let's put localization in air quotes. They obviously, I don't know where they sent it, but it sure wasn't a native English-speaking company. It's
1: the same place they sent uh, Sword Art Online a couple of years ago, which was also just one of the most disturbing <laughs> professional localizations I've ever seen in my life.
0: It's borderline word salad.
1: Which is funny, because both these games, you know, will sell reasonably well, and it just, uh, yeah, I don't have no idea. Uh, I think, I, I be, actually...
0: before you get into it, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I will just say that, the important thing is that the, the menus work. <laughs> You're not going to know what the heck is going on in the story because it's just all word salad. Oh, but the God. but you can actually navigate the game if you don't know Japanese. And weirdly enough for me, it was actually harder because <laughs> I was so used to the Japanese like uh, the Japanese so, uh, characters that I was just like what what is this ability? Uh, what what oh, yeah, the no, terminology great. doesn't mean anything to me.
1: Yeah, you're like you just made up a word. I already knew yeah. this tag. No, oh god.
0: Anyway, you played the Japanese I version. Played the Japanese
1: version. I didn't. I didn't beat it. I haven't cleared it yet. I only played a little bit because I didn't have much time before stuff started coming out in rapid succession. Um, but it's it's another. It's very pretty. OG game, which shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, it's always nice to get the full body portraits back. Uh, it's nice to have maps that are just pictures of heads. Um, <laughs> I, You know, from what I was playing, it if, if despite the fact that they were kind of billing it as a mainline game, it definitely feels like a side story,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: which is fine. I, that's probably for the better in terms of releasing to the West in English for the first time. Um, Quote unquote, I mean, you
0: still have to import it.
1: Exactly. Um But I think as as far as picking a title goes, it's probably a good place to start. Just because it's not quite as tied down in baggage. That said, it's still stars still tied down in basement baggage. J and has characters from Super Robot Wars J, which is a Game Boy Advance Super Robot Wars game, and it still has all the baggage that comes with being an OG title and having you know three or four games behind it, depending on how you count them. Um, You know, it seems seems solid. Didn't seem as good as uh, the last one on the PS3. But in terms of, like, mm-hmm. a interim game, I was
0: definitely having fun with it. It's just beautiful, you yeah. know? Yeah. I haven't played as much as I would have liked, which is why I haven't written about yeah. it. Um, I did stream it, though. Um, are you excited for SD Gundam G-Generation Genesis? So, I've never
1: played a... I remember you were telling me about G-Generation uh, a few podcasts prior to this, and I... I still haven't played a G-Generation game, so I've been looking into, like, trailers and stuff. And, like, it... it the style just reminds me a lot of Super Robot Wars, um, which is a positive. So, But it's different
0: but it's in different a lot of man. respects because you don't have a full-on campaign yeah. for the most part. You're playing kind of greatest hits from the different shows. Yes, I, I, don't,
1: I don't know. Like, the key...
0: And then you're also, like, the main goal of the game is basically to build up a squad of all of your favorite robots. And you start out with the very basic versions. Um, but as you progress, you, like, grind more money. You level up you um what's interesting is it's interesting to figure out how to get the robots that you actually want because you have to have some knowledge of how the 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 suits progress in the different shows in order to get hold of them so you'll be like because you evolve them right like you get them to a certain level and then you can like level them up right you can evolve them to the next level suit, um, and it might be, like, a modified version or whatever, like, you would start out with, like, the basic goof, and then you would... That's how you would move up to the goof okay. custom, right? And the goof custom can become other stuff. And there are, like, nine different types of the original, like, Gundam. Uh, and so you kind of, like... You try to find families of mobile suits from different shows, and that's how you unlock other ones. Um, and sometimes you can just exchange it, like... If you have a high enough level suit, you can just check the exchange and it'll like give you four different choices and you'll go, oh, well, I'll just drop like a hundred thousand coins on this suit that I want that I don't know how to unlock, but now I have that suit and that opens up even more options. And, um, a lot of that game is the thrill of the chase, I suppose you would say in that you're like going, man, once I have these suits, I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to have like the V2 yes. and I'm going to have the, uh, I'm going to have the, 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 the suit from Unicorn and I'm, I'm the, the full <laughs> frontal suit. <The> thing is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, You know, you're like, you're. I'm going to get like, I'm going to drop it on to the Argama, and so I'm going to have, that's going to be my capital ship, and I'm going to have all these characters flying the different suits, I'm going to have the turn A in there, and then once you have the entire, like, crew, you're like, hmm, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much know, done. I don't know if that's so a yeah, like, Force. I've always made it to the final, I've always made it to yeah. the final, like, level, uh, but inevitably I just go... All right, I'm time to uh, time for me to move on <laughs> yeah, from I this know, game.
1: I, I feel like I really need like a solid campaign to to keep me there, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. I, I would say give it a shot. Um, you would be surprised how addictive it is, and it's a lot of fun to kind of play these greatest hits from yeah. the the different shows. So, so yeah, uh, check that out. And of course, <laughs> next year we have another mainline SRW yeah. game coming out, though. So it's more of a spin off y type thing.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I heard it's okay.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm betting that the map is going to look like the Vita version again. Oh, if that's sure. the case, it looks like no sale. It's
1: using the same like, sprites from those games, so.
0: I, I picked it up again recently on the yeah. PS3, and the overhead map on the PS3 it just doesn't work. <laughs> I might actually rebuy it on the Vita because I think that's the only way I can enjoy that uh, that version of the series. I
1: I, like playing it on the Vita feels much more natural than whenever I've seen it on like a big screen for the PS3. Like it feels like a blown up Vita game, which feels terrible. Um, I hate that feeling. So like I'd almost recommend just yeah, just hopping over to the Vita for that.
0: Yeah, and they've been updating. Uh, they, they had been updating individual suits, like the new Gundam and stuff. But at its heart, it feels like it's still based on an engine from the no, PSP it's version. It, like it's,
1: there's, there's no way that they are not still using uh, the PSP Z engine that they started with. like
0: Which looked amazing absolutely. in 2011 on the PSP. It looked great. I loved it. It's 2016, yeah. man. That series
1: needs they need to put a little bit yeah. more money back into that series.
0: <laughs> it needs to well, I mean, uh, the it Moon Dweller looks so yeah, good, right?
1: It's like, "Oh, I can actually follow this story because it's not just tiny little square heads talking to each other."
0: <laughs> well, Z is finished, thank God. <laughs> Splitting those games into two parts was a real mistake. Like, it like the the second parts of both Z two and Z three were so much better than the first parts, but I was always burned out exactly, when I got to the second mean, part. You always get to
1: the second part, and you're like I don't know if I want
0: to keep playing this anymore. <laughs> Which is unfortunate because that was all where all the best parts are: all, all the, best the best story stories, arcs, exactly, all yeah. of the best units, all of the best characters. Like if you wanted to get, if you wanted to finally freaking get to the end of Gurren Lagan, mm-hmm. you had to be at the end of uh, you had to play to all the way to Super Robot Wars Z three two. And it's like, uh, this is a bridge too far for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, no,
1: the back ends, they they've, they load the back ends way too much.
0: Yeah, a little too much. I I hope that whenever, I'm sure they're going to start a new arc, probably on like the PS4 or something, yeah. uh, which by the way, new Gundam versus oh, Gundam yes. on the PS4. Yes. Can you believe that? So excited. Next generation starting on console. Man, that says a lot about arcade the state of arcades in Japan Um, right now. I'm
1: so excited for that. That was like the bombshell they dropped at T G S that like seven people got really excited for in the West, and everybody else was just like, Oh, another dumb Gundam game. And meanwhile I don't think
0: people really understand the significance of this. Like
1: it's a huge like that's not like another dumb No,
0: absolutely not.
1: That's a it's
0: huge. <laughs> Gundam vs is a big deal in, in the East, and oh, yeah, yeah. it has traditionally I mean, been an arcade series, and I'm sorry, this is straying way beyond the scope of an RPG podcast, but...
1: It's Gundam. Gundam always finds its way.
0: Yes, Gundam always <laughs> finds its way. And it looked like the series was going to be arcade only for the for- foreseeable future, but I guess the online connections just didn't work out for them, and they're just like, nope, time to go console.
1: Well, I know they're saying that, like, this is going to be strictly console a console series and they're going to keep doing the arcade series separate. And I think they're going to have just two different series running parallel. That way they don't have to worry hey, about like
0: Bandai Namco release this one in the West for God's sake. I, th- I think
1: I th- honestly, I think this is part of it too is that they mm. they can start fresh and, and sort of look at the roster, take another look at the roster and then see, you know, how licensing and stuff like that is going to work because I mean, Bandai Namco literally releases Everything now in the West, even the most like absurd tiny anime game, like they released, I want to say a few months ago, this like action RPG for the Vita called uh, called like the Asterisk War, which is based on this like light novel anime that like not that many people watched, but they still released and quote unquote localized the game and put it out digitally for the Vita. Like,
0: yeah, they also released that horrible versus game for the Vita.
1: Yeah, you know, like the that said that versus game got a lot better through patches. Um, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. They, they patched in, like, actual arcade modes. They patched in, like, 15 free suits. Oh, uh, shit. A bunch of different new modes. It still is no online, but now it's actually a versus game.
0: <laughs> I have a code. I need to play this thing.
1: Definitely. Uh, up- do all the updates and, like, you know, it's it's fun for having a, a, a versus game on your uh, console. You can't play with anybody else unless, you know, they have it. But, like, if you just want to get into a couple matches real quick, it's perfect now.
0: All right. So with that, I think that it is time to call it quits on this episode of Axe of the Blood God, which is a US Gamer podcast. We usually talk about RPGs, but when I get Elliot on here, I I just got to get my Gundam on, as it were. Uh, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and various other podcast outlets. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. You should go. If you enjoyed Elliot's conversations, you can see him talking about Japanese games on Twitter at Ryoga Sautome. Um, I believe that's spelled R O R Y O U G A S A O T O M E. So yeah, go check him out. And are, are you still blogging?
1: Uh, I still blog every now and then. I stream a lot now. I don't blog as much because this work takes up all my time. But.
0: Oh, wh- where do you stream? What's, uh, what's your Twitch channel?
1: Twitch.tv/slash Elliot Rio. That's E L L I O T R Y O.
0: Yeah, go subscribe to them.
1: All Japanese games, all the time.
0: Yeah, exactly. If you if you want to see the Persona Five in action and get some serious spoilers, yes. there you go. Right. <laughs> exactly, um, and of course uh, follow our streams too at Twitch.tv/slash US Gamer Net. Make sure to subscribe to us and. Uh, well, you know, whenever we start streaming, usually stream at least twice a week, uh, you will know about it. And of course we export all of our streams to YouTube at usgamer.net. Uh, follow us on all of the social medias, like us on Facebook, usgamer, uh, also on the Twitter at usgamer.net. Um, and, uh, please go and subscribe to our flagship podcast From Us to You, where this week we talked about Destiny: Rise of Iron, a game that I have boycotted for this uh, podcast because I don't want to talk about a co-op shooter. Uh, that's just how it is. Like I, I'm putting my foot down. Gosh darn it! I know that it has RPG stuff. It's it at its heart. It goes down with the MMORPG genre. But I just cannot get into this series, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to force it. Seems fair to me. Uh, I'm not going to force it. Let's let's just talk about some Persona Five here. I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, all right. <clears throat> so uh, this has been another episode of Axe the Blood God. I've been Cat Bailey, and for Elliot, thanks so much for coming on the show as always. And until next time, happy adventuring.